Today on Your Money, Your Wealth podcast number 337, is it crazy to think that it's better to pay taxes on 5 million bucks instead of 1 million bucks? Plus, Joe and Big Al spitball an asset location strategy to lower RMDs and taxes, but still maintain growth in the portfolio. And they consider an argument against the Roth IRA. Is it a valid one? Plus, what exactly counts as contributions if you want to withdraw them after they've been in your Roth for five years? Can you convert 401k to Roth IRA over several years? Why shouldn't you pay the tax on a Roth conversion out of the IRA you're converting from? And what do you do about Roth conversions if you want to keep that ACA subsidy on your medical insurance? And what? Joe Arrogant? I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Uh, Joe, Al, Andy, hello from unincorporated Gwinnett County, Georgia. You think that's right? I think so. Gwinnett? Yep. I have a question about asset location and RMDs. I'm 14 years away from my RMDs. Does the following asset location strategy make sense in order to lessen RMDs? in the associate future taxes. While maintaining overall portfolio, uh, the strategy of reduced bonds held in the taxable account, increased stock funds in the same amount, while simultaneously increasing bonds and decreasing stocks in my 401k. Thus, shifting assets will be done in a manner that does not change the overall stock bond allocation I've chosen. By doing this asset allocation or location shift, overall portfolio growth, which should mostly come from my stocks over the next 14 years will happen in the taxable account. The bonds will be in the 401k while providing portfolio stability will likely not grow as much thereby lessening future RMDs. Keep up the good work. I, was that a statement or a question? Well, I think he's asking for verification, second opinion or, or verification. He's right on. Very I, good. Totally agree. Totally agree. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. Okay. Asset location really means this, is that you want certain assets in, uh, depending on the tax pool that they're in. And we've talked about tax pools. One's tax-free, which would be a Roth. Taxable, which would be a brokerage account. Tax-deferred would be the IRA or 401k. In your tax-deferred accounts, because you're going to be paying the highest rate potentially, ordinary income, you would want asset classes that are a little bit more stable that have a lower expected rate of return. Because you don't want an asset class that, well, let's say on average does 8% because you're going to pay the highest tax on that. You would want an asset class um, historically that does maybe 4% because you have to pay a higher tax rate. In your brokerage account, like Wes just said, he wants to keep his stocks in there because they're going to be taxed at a lower rate, capital gains. If you have a loss in your brokerage account, you can also take that loss in your brokerage account and you can offset that loss against future gains in the future. Um, and again, Roth IRAs, you're tax-free. So you would want to have asset classes that, you know, would, I guess, ideally give you the highest expected return or the most risky. So asset location is a tax play. Um, but then as Wes, you get closer to retirement, then you have to figure out where you're going to be pulling the dollars from because you don't want to have your brokerage account all full of stocks if you need to pull money from there. Yep. Um, and same with your Roth and so on. So I think he's on to the concept, but then when you put it in practice, you just have to look at your specific situation a little bit further. Yeah. And I think a lot of times when we see people, they, they have all their stocks in their IRA and all their cash or short-term bonds. 
<laughs> in their in their non-qualified non-retirement account. And that from a tax standpoint, it's it's completely backwards because you have your highest growth in the IRA, you'll pay the highest tax, ordinary income. You could have capital gains in the non-retirement accounts, but yet you've got cash or bonds that are producing ordinary income anyway, right? So that is a good thing. But Joe, I agree with you. I was going to make the same point, which is when you're actually pulling money out of the accounts, if you have all stocks in your non-retirement account and you need to pull from that account and the account goes way down, then you're kind of stuck, right? So you, you want to have some liquidity or some safe money in actually each of the three pools when you're in, when you're doing distributions. Especially Roth accounts, because we talk so much about it. If you're doing conversion, you're spending a bunch of money and you need to spend that at some point. Right. And then the market turns and you have, you know, you know, individual securities or something like that. It right. just takes a bath. Yep, yep. You spend all this tax to get it there. And then all of a sudden you're down 40%. You, right. it, it's going to hurt. You need yeah. time for it to recover. Correct. All right. Um, hopefully that helps Wes. Thanks again for the question. Julia from Florida. Uh, uh, she has a question. Hey, I'm 43 years old, married with two young children. Both my partner and I work full time in government services with Combined gross pay of $200,000. We both contribute the maximum to our thrift savings plan. A combined balance about a million dollars. And to individual Roth IRAs, combined balance about $500,000. How old is she? 43? Yeah. My gosh. That's impressive. It is impressive. $200,000 of income, and they got $1.5 million. Then they contribute another thousand dollars a month to a 529 plan for each child. Yeah. We do not have any housing costs and we will receive a pension upon retirement. What the hell are you writing in for? (laughs) This is like the ideal person here. It's it's like, why don't you, Julia, why don't you just join us here? You can tell our listeners how to do this. My goodness. My partner plans to retire after 20 years of government service in seven years. I will continue working for at least 10 more years. Uh, we're doing fine financially. Yeah, you think? Um, I'm not concerned about that. However, what level of concern should I have regarding nearly all of our wealth and brokerage account? Uh, the current balance is $2.2 million. What does that mean? I thought she's got a million dollars in a TSP. She does. This I is guess. what she's got in a brokerage account. Yeah, so this, this is maybe an addition to? Yep. So they got $1.5 million in retirement accounts. And then... Yeah, I'm not concerned about that. The 1.5. What I am concerned is that she's got money in her brokerage account. Oh, we got a current balance of 2.2 million in our brokerage account. Okay, uh, we are invested 99.9 percent in equities and have been comfortable weathering the ups and downs in the market. For example, in March 2020, we saw 300 thousand dollars go down the drain, did nothing, gained it all back, and probably a lot more. Yep. Uh, we don't own real estate. I'm not really interested and don't want to dedicate the time to it. So this might sound ridiculous, but we don't know where else to put the money. We crank it out all into the stock market. We see the results and it's hard to change. Of course, I understand that someday when we want to have access to all the brokerage account money, we'll have to pay taxes. We are following the general mindset. A paying taxes on $5 million is better paying taxes on $1 million. I would agree with that. <laughs> Me too. Let's just make um, as much as possible in the stock market and be happy to pay the taxes on those massive gains. Is this crazy? Is there something different that I should consider doing with all the money? I plan to adjust 
the investment distribution to be less aggressive when my husband retires, because I guess that is the responsible thing to do. But until then, I just want to keep investing. What are your thoughts on this? Also, I drive a Subaru Forester, gray with black interior. All right, Julia. Okay. Um, it, keep doing what you're doing. You know what I mean? I mean, well, yeah. And it's why, why make it more complicated than you need to? It sounds like, well, first of all, you're not going to need the money for quite some time, maybe never because of the pensions, because of the pensions and everything else. I, I mean, I'm not sure how you're spending, but so, I mean, but realize this we've had a what 11, 12 year bull market, 11 year, uh, maybe 12 year, 12 year bull market and market timing alert. It, <laughs> And maybe we'll have another 12 years. There's no way of knowing that for sure. But but things tend to cycle. And we did have a pretty good recession. Uh, we had the Great Recession, 2007, 8, 9. So just be aware of that. If uh, if if you have the the mortal the mental fortitude to be able to stomach stuff like that, you know this this last year went down for a month, and. You know, we didn't know what we had. And by the time you would have done anything, the market already went back up. If you can stay the course for a year or two or more when we have another recession, then I think you're an ideal candidate just to keep doing what you're doing. A couple of things. Um, you should be looking at rebalancing and tax loss harvesting opportunities uh, for someone that has, you know, a couple million dollars in a brokerage account. You could be very tax sensitive within those dollars. So it's not like, hey, we got to pay all these taxes on $5 million in the future if you manage it appropriately along the way. So, for instance, you lost $300,000 in March. Was that a true loss? Did you sell and then buy something different? That's called tax loss harvesting. You could take that $300,000 loss and offset it against future gains. Yeah, good point. And so then you're still building wealth within that overall account, but you're you're not building that tax time bomb. Yeah. Or, or a little less than one because you got some lost carry forwards. Right. And I don't understand why she's more concerned about the brokerage account being in. See, this is the mentality too of people, right? And we just talked about this is that what um, Wes asked us about asset location. Right. Hey, you know, I, I want to shift my mindset a little bit. I want to have more stocks here, less stocks there. So Julia writes in and she's like, I got a million and a half in retirement accounts. I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about is my brokerage account. <laughs> Money's money. You just got to look at how is it taxed in a brokerage account. It's going to be taxed at a lot favorable rate. And you can do a lot more tax management with those accounts in a brokerage account long term. Yeah, th- this is where you want to have your gains. It's kind of like if I owned a company and Joe, you're going to buy my company and you're, you'll either pay me a million or two million. And I'm going to say, I'd rather sell it for a million. So I could pay less taxes. No, I'm going to sell it for two million. Right, right. And the same applies here. I'd rather pay taxes, especially capital gains. I'd rather pay capital gains on five million than one million, any day of the week. Right. Um, so yeah, keep doing what you're doing. If you're saving that much and you have that much and you're 43 years old, um, why work? <laughs> Do something else. Right. Uh, Congrats. So we've determined that asset location is figuring out whether to put investments in your brokerage account or your Roth or someplace else based on how each asset class is taxed and what kind of returns you expect them to have in the future. Properly locating your assets has the potential to boost post-tax returns in your retirement portfolio. If that sounds like a good idea to you, maybe downloading our free Why Asset Location Matters guide would be a good idea as well. 
or you can schedule a financial assessment, also free, for a comprehensive and personalized look at your overall financial situation. Download the Asset Location Guide and schedule a free financial assessment in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Just click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to get started. Uh, Ken writes in from Alaska. He goes, hey, Joe, Big Al, I'm a new listener and have been binging your podcast. Uh, my wife and I are 30 years old and make approximately $175,000 a year with no kids. My job recently added a Roth 401k and a Megatron option that I've been stuffing money in. Good for you with the old Megatron. 17% to max Roth 401k, 8% to after tax that auto converts to Roth. I was talking to a friend and he said that contributing to Roths doesn't make sense. His reasoning, if we want a similar income in retirement that we do now, we can contribute to pre-tax accounts and save at our marginal tax rate. When we withdraw the money, we'll be paying at our effective rate and therefore paying less taxes overall. His reasoning feels wrong to me, but I didn't know how to get around his process. I was hoping you could provide some guidance on why Roth was a better choice. We have pre-tax savings already and have been contributing a lot to Roth to try in, um, in trying even them out some. Uh, perhaps that is the wrong strategy and we should be putting more all to pre-tax. Thanks for all your great advice. Look forward to hearing your response, uh, Ken. All right. So I guess, do we need to explain marginal versus effective? Uh, we do. <laughs> So um, effective would be your average tax rate. And the way the tax brackets work, the lowest rate's 10%, then there's a 12%, then there's a 22%, 24%. It goes as high as 37%. And depending upon what bracket you're in, like let's just say you're in the 24% bracket. Well, that doesn't mean you pay 24% on all your taxes. It, it just means that you pay it on whatever income falls in that bracket. So some of your income is taxed at 10%, some at 12, some at 22, and some at 24. So when you blend that, those all together, that's your effective rate. And so if you take my example, maybe your effective rate when you blend those all together is 18%, whatever, some figure like that. That's effective rate. That's nice to know, but it's not very good for tax planning. For tax planning, you want to know your marginal rate, your highest rate, because that's what's what the rate you're going to pay if you add a dollar more of income or have a dollar more of deduction. So the marginal rate is always what's important to consider when you're thinking about a Roth IRA versus a regular 401k. In other words, if you're in the highest bracket, 37%, maybe your effective rate's 23%, but your, but your marginal rate's 37, that's a high bracket. So you might want to do a traditional 401k to get that tax deduction, right? But the, the concept is the same whether you're working or in retirement. That's why this is a, this is a flawed analysis, uh, Ken, by your friend. Because the, the way to think about it is that when you're, if you're basically, if, you're, if you have the same income and the same income need in retirement versus now, that would imply that your income is the same. And if tax rates stay the same, you're going to be in the same bracket. You're going to be in the same effective same, rate. Too. Same effective rate. So it, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. You're, if you have an, an extra dollar of Roth versus is 401k, you're going to be saving at the marginal rate at that time. So it, it works the same way. 
Um, to find your effective rate, what you, you just divide the amount of taxes into your gross income. Yeah. That, that what you do is, you, yeah, you take your total federal tax and you divide it in, but before add on taxes, like self-employment, things like that, your total regular tax, uh, divide that into your taxable income. That's your effective rate. And your marginal rate is your highest bracket that you're in. To give you a quick example on this, let's say that Ken's friend wants to spend, he, He's making $100,000 now, and he wants to make $100,000 in retirement. Yeah. And assuming the tax rates stay the same. Right. And if all of his money's in a pre-tax account, okay, <laughs> excuse me, when you take money from the pre-tax account, the first $19,750 of taxable income is going to be taxed at 10%. Right. But he wants to spend 100 so he needs to pull more money out of the retirement account. Right. So the additional dollars up to $80,000 is going to be taxed then at 12%. And then the remaining $20,000 is going to be taxed at 22%. So his, his marginal rate is 22% because that's the top rate, but his effective rate is going to be a lot less. So if he had a Roth IRA, right, he could then be in a lot less marginal rate and effective rate by having the blend that Ken wants to do. Because he's saying, hey, do I want to balance these out a little bit? And the answer is yes. That's what tax diversification is all about. Right. Because now let's just say that Ken is diversified from a tax perspective. He pulls out the $20,000 out of his 401k that's pre-tax. He pays his 10%. And then he wants to pull maybe a little bit more out of the 401k that's pre-tax, and he pays 12%. Right. But he doesn't want to get in the 22% tax bracket, so he pulls from his Roth IRA and avoids the 22% tax bracket altogether. Correct. So Ken's effective rate is going to be a lot less than his buddies, and his marginal rate is going to be less than his buddies because he did the appropriate tax planning um, upfront. And your example, I think, is a really good example of why you never want to convert 100%. Because if you convert 100% or all your money goes into a Roth, then probably you pay too, too many taxes going in. And when you pull the money out, you would have been in a 10 or 12% bracket. So there's a balance here, right? In other words, you want to have tax diversification. You want to be able to fill up the lowest two brackets while you're in retirement, right? So you don't necessarily want to either put all your money in a Roth or convert all your money because then you will have paid too much in taxes to get there. Uh, we oversimplify, and of course, there's going to be deductions and oh, yeah. you know things like that. But you get the gist of a marginal tax rate. Narender. Uh, Narender. Narender. Yep. All right. Narender writes in, uh, greetings, Joe and Al. I'm a resident of Florida. I'm a 46-year-old male. I've been contributing to employer-sponsored Roth 401k plans for the last two years. I've contributed $30,000 till now from my end, which is my base amount. The account has grown to $40,000, which means $10,000 is earning in this Roth 401k account during the last two years. I don't have a Roth IRA till now. I'm planning to quit employment now, 46 years of age, to take a new job. I'll roll over all money from my Roth 401k to a Roth IRA after leaving my employer. After rolling this money to a Roth IRA, I'll wait five years for Roth IRA to get seasoned. During this five-year period in Roth IRA, I'll invest this money in SPY U.S. Stock Index ETF. Let's assume this account grows from 40 to 60 over this five-year period. So 20K will be the earnings within the Roth IRA account after initial rollover. 
Question, at age 51, after five years in a Roth IRA a season, would I be able to withdraw the 401k from the Roth IRA? In other words, should I consider all initial Roth 401k rollover money of 40k, 30k plus $10,000 of earnings, which were Roth 401k, as my initial contribution to a Roth IRA? I recently came um, to know your show on YouTube. And I've been educating myself on Roth accounts and strategies. God bless you, your families, and your team. Keep up the good work of education on your show. Thanks, Narender. Um, okay, so. Uh, no. <laughs> the answer is no. Um, well, part, it's part of it's right. Well, let, let's just say when you, when you roll money from a Roth, 401k to a Roth IRA, it, it continues the same character as it went into the Roth 401k, meaning that if $30,000 is your initial contributions, that's what it is in your rollover Roth IRA as well. So only 30 is your contributions. You don't get an extra step up. Yeah. And I guess my concern is why is he even thinking that? What well, In case he needs the money, perhaps, or maybe, I guess maybe that don't even put it into a Roth IRA. Put it into a, you know, invest in the SPY brokerage account <laughs> uh, because it's fairly tax efficient. Right. Um, you know, if you're thinking about using FIFO tax treatment, pulling it out at age 50, I mean, the real true benefit of a Roth IRA is the, the, the tax-free compounding of it all. Yeah, I agree. It, it, and it, if, it's, if it's this amount, 40 grand, 50 grand, 60 grand, it's okay. Well, you get some benefit of the Roth, uh, but- if you wait until 65 and let that thing grow for you, you know, yeah, yeah, I think that's have... a better strategy. But if you're looking for liquidity needs, I don't think the Roth IRA is the right option. Um, just say, hey, in, in five years, I want to make sure that I can take my my basis out. <laughs> but if you have an emergency at 51, you can always pull out your contributions. Yeah, but he's, Nander here is kind of planning on a... I, I know. Right. Yeah, well... It, I want to take the money out to spend or to live right. off of maybe. He wants to know, he wants can to... you take out 30 or 40? The answer is you can take out 30. 30. But our suggestion is to take out zero. <laughs> Let that thing grow tax-free, right? All right. Alan, we got this review. Joe's arrogance. Something Less Joe morale. <laughs> so I think I'm retiring from the show. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I kind of like that. Yeah. So you take it over, brother. I'm out. (laughs) But I will say we could, she could have just as easily written more Joe, less Al. Joe is interesting. Al is boring. Joe's arrogance. (laughs) I don't, am I, do I sound arrogant? On occasion. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I don't think I'm arrogant at all. Um, I don't know. I'm maybe I'm just, I'm having, this is my personality. I don't think I'm arrogant. It says you talk over me. What the hell are you doing talking, Al? I'm trying to. (laughs) Over talking big Al in demeaning comments about people that write in is off-putting. Well, when you read and answer questions. (laughs) For a living. For a living. Right. And you talk to clients face to face. This is my outlet. (laughs) That this is your chance to let loose, right? And to be really honest and right. say, you know what? Hey, I want to help you. I'm just going to help you behind the microphone. Right. Got it. Right. Because when you ask really stupid questions, it's it's fun for me to say, wow, that was really stupid. 
even though I don't say it, but I guess I'm super arrogant on saying that. Well, if you ever want to learn how to be nicer, I'll take you to my yoga class and you can learn more about Zen. I'm, I'm fully Zen. <laughs> the, the show provides meaningful information, but it's just hard to get past Joe's self-important attitude. Hey, you got four stars for that. It's pretty good. <laughs> Still got four. Is, is the four for Al? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. And I got the negative one. Well, I don't know. That's pretty funny. Well, Joe, you, have you ever done yoga? Uh, no, I don't. Know. That would be interesting. Interesting to watch. No, nope. you're too uh, self-important for that. I'm very arrogant for yoga. <laughs> I do it every Saturday morning. Whenever you're ready, brother, just come on over. Oh, uh, I'm on the golf course drinking Coors Lights. Yeah, I know. Yeah, just, just being self-absorbed, <laughs> <laughs> blowing everyone up. Every time you hit a great shot. Oh. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> I am Can, so awesome. You believe you that? You are terrible. And someone else has a good shot. Well, that was whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Andy, am I arrogant? Oh, don't ask me, Joe. You know, Andy, please don't, I, please don't ask me. You know, well, we, so we did. We're, we're back uh, doing these webinars, and it was a complete and utter disaster. Okay. Why? Oh, because I, I blew up. Don't forgot well, how to out of, do it. Well, oh, out of practice. Oh. We were in the TV studio. Right. The, the heat lamps were on. I'm sweating. <laughs> Those are bright lights. Oh, my gosh. You know, and then all of a sudden, the, some of the slides were a little bit different than I was expecting. And I was like, oh, my God. That then he just started out. yelling at the camera. <laughs> then I got arrogant. It's super <laughs> was that live? Oh, yeah. Of course. Yep. Oh, yeah. live. Oh, boy. Yeah. We're going to get some reviews on that <laughs> yeah, one. We're gonna get some reviews. <laughs> oh, I don't know. You're not even going to get four stars on that. I know. That's, we've been doing this for 15 years. Yeah. Well, all I know is it doesn't really matter. Sometimes people love you. Sometimes they love me. Sometimes they don't like you. Sometimes they don't like me. Usually, I don't when, think anyone doesn't like Big Al. We're going to have tax chat with Big well, Al. Can you imagine listening to 90 <laughs> minutes of me? <laughs> <laughs> it just wouldn't be that interesting. Even I would fall asleep on that. Well, yeah, I think. Um, I think Although I'm maybe because I have trouble sleeping. Maybe that's a good idea. Uh. Real quick, share your opinions about the Your Money, Your Wealth podcast, whether they're good, bad, or arrogant, for your chance to win a $100 Amazon e-gift card. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes and fill out the fourth annual YMYW podcast survey. You'll be in the running for the 100 bucks. U.S. residents only, no purchase necessary. Survey giveaway closes and winner chosen at 4 p.m. Pacific time on August 31st, 2021. Go do it now while you listen to some more Roth Talk. Miriam, is that right? Yep. Well, what the hell do you know? <laughs> uh, dear Andy, Big Allen Joe, I love your money or wealth. Um, I have listened to more than 100 episodes during the pandemic as I walk around Victoria Park in London in the United Kingdom. Well, that's cool. That is cool. After hearing you explain about Roth conversions, I finally did one in 2020. As head of household with one child in real estate losses, I ended up paying no taxes on my Roth conversion, which was awesome. So I want to convert some more. Here's my question. Is it possible to convert a 401k into a Roth IRA over several years? I have a 401k with an old employer that has $80,000 with my filing status, who would be great if I could convert $40,000 in 2021 and the remaining $40,000 in 2022 and pay no tax. Or am I making my life complicated and perhaps being greedy? And should I just convert the whole $80,000 at once? 
My concerns are the mechanics. Do I just instruct my employer to roll my 401k um, to an IRA? My Roth account is at Charles Schwab. Then convert half to Roth and leave the other half for the next year. Will there be a pro rata problem? I have, uh, I no longer have any traditional IRAs, but <clears throat> might be creating one with a rollover. I do have money set aside to pay the tax if necessary. No pets, no car, no ability to do a mega door back door Roth conversion as I have no earned income in the U.S. Wow. The only issue I see, I like your strategy quite a bit. Sure. Um, is that can she do an in-service withdrawal from the 401k? Is she currently contributing to the plan? No, it says it's an old plan. Oh, yeah. Then for sure. Just move the 401k into an IRA and then convert 40 this year, 40 next. Yeah, I, I think it's it's hard if you have an old plan trying to do a little conversion every year. Just roll it to an IRA and then convert as much as you want. And the amount that you convert is based upon your tax bracket, not half, half. or a third or a, the whole thing. It's like based upon your current tax bracket. So you got to look at that and see what's going to make sense for you. Yeah. If your uh, Roth IRA is at Charles Schwab, move the, the 401k to a Charles Schwab IRA. Yep. And then it's just super easy uh, to do it that way. So, but yeah, you're right. Look at your taxable income to figure out what tax bracket that you're in and then go potentially, um, unless you, you still have carry forward losses um, that went offset, but I don't, I think she probably used them up. I, we, I don't know. Yep. Anyway. All right. Hopefully that helps from London. The United Kingdom, Alan. Like it. Uh, let's see. Uh, sorry, no juicy stuff about me, my cat, my car, or anything like that. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I'd just like to hear your discussion more on why it's a bad idea to pay taxes on a Roth conversion using money out of an IRA transfer account. I'm re in retirement between age 62, turning on Social Security at age 70, and um, RMD age, I'll have lower taxable income and be in a better tax situation for a Roth conversion. However, I don't have readily available funds outside the IRA to pay the taxes. It seems like if one pulls excess money out of their IRA and pays taxes, or if they already have money in a taxable brokerage account, then they've already paid taxes on those or not, um, dollars at uh, the time of deposit. It winds up being basically the same thing. So, Joe and Big Al. Is it better to avoid the Roth conversion or go ahead with the conversion and pay the taxes on the regular IRA account? Love the show and the humorous discussions. I bet Russell uh, from in Mississippi likes you. I bet he'd give you five stars. See, it's humorous. <laughs> it's not arrogance. <laughs> it could be both. Humorous arrogance. That's the right. new name of the show. <laughs> Um, Russell. So, All right. Yeah, so well, do I pay the tax out of the IRA? What, what do you say? Well, uh, the reason we'd suggest not to do that is if you have money outside of an IRA, we'd rather have you get more money into the Roth, not using IRA money to get money into the Roth. But we've said this before, if all you have is money in an IRA and you're in a super low tax bracket, yeah, go for it. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Um, and, it's and, just better. It's more effective or efficient. Right? Well, it, it's better to pay outside the tax outside of your retirement account because you get more in the in the Roth, right? Instead of you do you do a fifty thousand dollar conversion, right? If you if you have if you can pay the tax outside with a non retirement account, or you do a fifty thousand dollar, but you can only convert thirty five thousand because you got to withhold fifteen thousand to pay tax. You're not getting as much in a Roth. That's why we like it outside the tax to be, be paid outside. But um, I do agree with your comment, Russell. It's it's kind of it's almost same same. 
doesn't because the brokerage accounts after tax dollars. It, yeah, right. And a retirement account is pre-tax dollars. Yep. So I'm going to pull fifteen thousand dollars out of a pre-tax account that's never been taxed, is and then I'm going to pay tax on it and put it in my brokerage account. Then I'm going to do a conversion and then I'm going to pay the tax from the brokerage account. It's kind of the same. It's it's the same. It's just that in my example. I'd rather pay the tax outside of the retirement account so I could get the whole 50000 in the Roth instead the, of thirty five. The, the only issue that we would have is that if the dollars that you're pulling out of the retirement account is pushing you up into a higher tax bracket, Agreed. and then you're paying taxes on the money that you want to pay for taxes at a higher tax rate, then yes. it doesn't make any sense. Or if you're under 59 and a half, then it's a very bad idea because now you got you got a early withdrawal yeah. penalty. Yep, yep, yep. Um, but yeah, if you do the math, um, Russell, that, I mean, that, I guess that's the only thing that we can say. It's, it's all, any type of tax strategy is really revolved on, you know, it's a little bit of art, but more, um, science. Right. Ken, Narender, Miriam, and Russell, and everyone else that's got Roth questions, we've got a couple of free guides in the podcast show notes that will provide more answers for you. The Ultimate Guide to Roth IRAs is a basic primer on what a Roth IRA is and how it differs from a Roth 401k or a traditional IRA. The benefits of having a Roth tax-free growth for life on your money being the most obvious one. Plus, you'll have all the rules on contributions, conversions, taxation, and withdrawals all right at your fingertips. Then our guide to the five-year rules for Roth IRA withdrawals will take a deeper dive into pulling money from your Roth depending on your age. Download both guides from the podcast show notes by clicking the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app. You'll see all the free financial resources and the podcast survey right above the episode transcript. Like it share it okay uh let's see chuck from western pa hi andy joe and big al i've been listening to your show for about a year it's the best podcast i have found yeah <laughs> you're, you're, you're getting just, your mojo, i gotta pump getting my your, tires get your mojo back I just, now. I just gotta I just need some more positive reinforcement yeah that's right know? you know no I, that's right because i'm just a fragile insecure idiot inside by, by the way I, I got this hard arrogance shell on the outside ha, have i told you how much how great you are thank and, you and how much i love you oh god you feels so good <laughs> just, just keep showering me uh all right i have a question that i haven't been able to find any good answer to uh but first a little background okay i drive a 2002 buick all right and married and i have two cats I am 54, planning on retirement, end of 2022, at age 55 and a half. I will have a pension of about $36,000 at 55, would go up to $3,000 per additional year work. About $2 million in investments, 500,000 Roth, 600,000 401k, 500,000 IRA, 400,000 brokerage account. Uh, For tax years 21 and 22, I plan to complete Roth conversions to the top of the 24% tax bracket to take advantage of the current low tax rates, assuming there's no change in 2022. I earn $140,000 a year. Wife doesn't work. And I max out pre-tax and post-tax 401k and do the Megatron backdoor Roth conversion barnyard is wide open. We've got a lot of those today. Oh, Megatron. It's big. That, by the way, that's that's when you put after-tax money in your 401k over and above your 19500 that you can contribute normally. Yes. And it's actually called a mega backdoor Roth, but you know, on this show, it's called Megatron. Thank that's you mega, very much, mega, Marcus. That's, that's what we call it. Megatron. Um, 
I got into the Roth game too late, but I'm trying to get better tax diversity. Uh, my problem is medical insurance with Medi- Medicare not kicking in until age 65. I'm trapped by having to keep my income below $68,000 to avoid uh, to avoid the Affordable Care Act subsidy cliff. Uh, the American Rescue Act capped the insurance costs of 8% of income of 2020 in 2021, eliminating the subsidy cliff, but that expires. Are there any good practical options for Medi-Cal, i.e., a MediShare plan, not really insurance I hear, to get me to age 65, any good private insurance. I really mainly need catastrophic coverage because it, uh, but it seems you pay twenty dollars to $30,000 a year with a $10,000 deductible, which seems to scream gamble for 10 years without insurance until Medicare kicks in. <laughs> Don't want to do this. It appears... I have no real choice but to game the system and keep my income below $68,000 until age 65. I can't do any Roth conversion post-retirement up to age 65, which is why I'm aggressively trying to do them pre-retirement. And we'll have to live off of brokerage accounts, capital gains, taxes, and my pension. Roth is a last resort after 59 and a half to avoid the Affordable Care Act subsidy cliff. If the cliff wasn't so dramatic, about six k a year in insurance costs with subsidies earning sixty eight thousand dollars versus twenty four thousand dollars a year in costs without subsidies earning sixty eight thousand sixty eight thousand and one dollar. I wouldn't mind paying a little extra for the insurance, but this eighteen thousand dollar difference per year, or about one hundred eighty thousand dollars over ten years. I hear you guys say this added cost is just like a tax, but. That is a substantial tax for the extra dollar of income. Any help would be greatly appreciated. Okay. Well, um, I had a couple of thoughts. So, all right. So, Chuck, first of all, I don't think you're in that bad a shape. You've got 1.1 million, I guess, ish in an IRA. Well, let's see. Did I get that right? Well, he says he's got 2 million of investments. Oh, let's see. 600 and 401k, 500 in IRA. Yeah. So, 1.1 million in, in, in a tax deferred, which isn't that bad. I mean, you're talking about a required minimum distribution, even if that doubles, but, or maybe more than doubles, you know, you're talking about 80,000 of income. You may not be in that high of a bracket, but here's a, here's a couple thoughts. Uh, you, you are, you are correct. There's this huge cliff. Uh, once if you're, if you got the affordable care act and you're using that for insurance, once you're a dollar over that, all of a sudden you're paying full boat for your insurance and you're not getting a subsidy. So what you might do a couple things that you might do. One is if you're working over the next two years, and I assume you have insurance from your employer, maybe you just jam Roth conversions over the next two years. That's what he plans on doing right? up to the 24%. Yeah, tax that, that, that's, that's that I would do that. Or if you still feel like you want to do more, just pick one year out of the next 10 and just jam it, knowing that you're going to have to pay extra insurance. You don't, you don't, every other year you stay below the 68,000, as long as we still have this Affordable Care Act insurance subsidy. Right. But here's a, I, I think he's not, you know, my, I do know stance on this, but it's wrong. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. I won't even. Oh, you're so arrogant. <laughs> no, I'm being arrogant. Uh, okay. Let's say it's $18,000 difference. Right. Okay. Um, 
so that's the added tax. That's right. You add that even to the Roth conversion, you could still stay in the 22% tax bracket and convert, or even in the 12% tax bracket and convert, right? And versus the 24% tax bracket. So what I'm saying is that if he still adds the dollar up and finds his effective rate on the conversion, adding the insurance cost, I still think he'd be better versus trying to convert in the 24% tax bracket when he probably is not going to be in the 24% tax bracket in retirement. Right. So he's, he's trying to convert to avoid paying taxes, but he's paying taxes at a higher rate and he's got $2 million and he wants the subsidies. And I think the subsidies were really not necessarily meant for someone that has $2 million. There you go. And I agree with that statement. Nevertheless, that's the rule. So that's why I made the first comment. I'm not sure you have to be near that aggressive, um, but I would personally, uh, that, the reason why I said go big is, is it, like if you do a $100,000 conversion, you're going to have to pay the tax on that plus an extra 18,000, which is 18% extra on top of your other tax. Now, if you do 200,000, you have to pay the tax on that, but it's still 18,000 now on 200,000. So that's like 9% extra tax. If you do 400,000 extra conversion, now you're at about four and a half percent. So it becomes more affordable if you go big one year and don't do any conversions other years. That's what I meant to say by that. Got it? Are you following me? Yeah. Terrible <laughs> advice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go to yourmoneywealth.com, click on Ask Joe and Al on the air uh, if you want to um, ask us a question or give us a review. Well, and you just give us a comment about did. how great we are, how terrible we are. Yeah, uh, you, you missed the, the good review, which uh, five star highly recommend this show and is so informative. Oh, great show. Yeah. I just like to dwell in the negativity. <laughs> you do. <laughs> you like to go dark. Yeah. I like the bad reviews. It kind of just okay, fires you up. Yeah. Huh? It frowns me, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So uh, no cocktails this week. Yeah. You no didn't one... have the land shark. You were supposed no. to go try the land shark. Uh, uh, I know. And, and discuss I mean, it this like, week. Let's talk about our, our listeners. Our listeners didn't tell us what they're drinking. Uh. Yes. So we got a lot of cats, a lot of cars. What, what did you? What What have you drank over the last week? Let me guess: Coors Light and Fireball. Yep, I had a little bit of Coors Light. <laughs> I did have uh, some Fireball on the golf course. Yep, you know they have those little kind of shooters there. Yeah, yeah, oh, right. yeah, yeah. Birdie juice. Got it. Yep, birdie juice. Okay, yeah. does does it work? Well, hopefully, if you get a birdie, then you can have one. <laughs> oh, got it. So that's the incentive. It's yes. Got it. So you work. Like I thought hell. you thought you drank it, then you got a birdie. Because... Usually, if you drink it, you probably get a bogey or <laughs> yeah. maybe a double bogey. So thinking, right. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> when you get a birdie, you have one of those, and then you're and, like, okay, you just got to keep it cool. And last week, I had different craft beers. I'm, I'm kind of liking the hazy IPAs these days. Yeah, is that why your eyes are a little hazy? Yeah, that's why I'm <laughs> a little tired, I'm a little foggy. <laughs> <laughs> a little hazy today, Joe. You know why? <laughs> oh, I had a rough day. So yeah, that's where right. the old hazy yeah. IPA round. Had one last night, back. <laughs> uh, all right. Thanks for your comments, your questions, um, and your reviews. Uh, we got to get out of here. We'll see you again next week. Show's coming to your money or well. 
all the derails made it into the main content today, so we'll just leave you with these thoughts to drink your beer by. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257 to schedule your free financial assessment video call. It doesn't matter where you are in the country. Chances are one of the certified financial planners at Pure will be able to identify strategies that will help you create a more successful retirement. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.